0: Being in full-time ministry for the first part of our marriage and raising our kids, you know, we didn't have a huge income. And just raising three children, trying to send them to college, buy them cars, wedding funds. (laughs) Started out in our marriage like a lot of people do, that dream of double income, no kids. And then the drastic change of of going to ministry, having children. I mean, just a lot of changes moving. We had to trust as we stepped along the way, that God would give us in whatever various means He chose to to provide, and He did. Therefore, He will be faithful in the future for what? And I think the generosity that I feel like I'm being really challenged with right now is any more that I'm given, what am I gonna do with that? In the midst of that, remembering God's faithfulness to us over the years, that God gave us everything. Are we honoring Him with everything Uh, that He's given us, and then as we look forward, and we want Him to continue to use us, will we honor Him with everything that He's going to give us in the future? Certainly I just want to have the mentality, and I feel like grace has this right now, is is, we're not going to be done until the Lord comes back. There will be other generations that come after us. Fires me up. Well, good morning. I love uh, the Blumsteads testimony just about that attitude of whatever I have belongs to the Lord because he gave me everything that I have. Um, as Chris mentioned earlier during the announcements, we are in week three of our five-week Every Knee series. If for some reason you missed the first couple of weeks and you did not get one of the books, feel free to grab one off the back table. You can even slip over there right now if you want to and get one. We won't point at you and laugh. Um, But just a reminder, too, from what they were saying, that our primary goal, again, is that all of us, 100% of us, go before the Lord with what we have and say, Lord, how would you ask me to utilize the resources that you have given? And then as you look through the book, of course, the secondary goal, uh, we have some fundraising goals over the next couple of years as we move toward a permanent facility for, for Creekside. For this congregation, and then also some additional church planting initiatives. Chris also mentioned earlier, but I want to mention this one more time. This Friday is our Advanced Commitment Night. Few people have asked over the last couple of weeks so, what is this? What are we doing? Essentially, Advanced Commitment Night is an opportunity for those of you that say, I'm excited about what God is doing. And I want to have the opportunity to lead out with my commitment to Grace Bible Church and my commitment to the Lord. So we're going to meet on Friday night. There are going to be games. I think there's going to be some food, not dinner, but some food. It's going to be a worship experience as well at the Ice House in Bryan. Uh, But you also should go and register online, just RSVP, so we know you're coming. starts at 6.30. We are excited to see you there. All right, we're going to be in a number of passages this morning, but let me pray as we get rolling. Father, we are so grateful for this morning. We're grateful for another opportunity to worship you, for another opportunity to hear from your word. Father, we pray as we listen to what you have to say that you would soften our hearts and minds, Lord. We pray that your Spirit would move among us that. Uh, as we just saying that it would be true of us that for the cause of Christ, we would live, for the cause of Christ, we would even be willing to die and not just to die once, but daily to die to ourselves, to our desires, to what we want, to set it aside on behalf of your kingdom. Father, in fact, we pray that our desires would increasingly align with yours. As we study your word this morning, I pray you would open up our minds that we would understand it. We pray that you'd take away confusion, take away distractions that would keep us from understanding. Father, we pray you'd soften our hearts and take away our rebellious attitudes, those attitudes that cause us to resist and defend instead of obey. Father, we pray that you would take away our fear and then empower our hands and our feet and our lips for your service as we prepare to go from here in a while into a world that needs to know the good news of Jesus and the good news that we just sang, that Jesus Christ died for us and rose again so we can have life. We're grateful for this time. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I wanna start with a question this morning and I want you really to think about this question for just a minute. Here it is. Are you rich? Ask yourself that question. My guess is that when I ask that question, your immediate response is, I don't want to answer that question, right? Because maybe you sense a trap or maybe your immediate response is, uh, you know, no, I'm not rich. I know somebody who's rich, right? I've met some people who are rich, but I'm not not rich. I'm somewhere in the middle. Maybe I'm somewhere on the bottom of the economic ladder, but I am not rich. Here's what I want you to do for just a minute. When you think of the word rich, I want you to get some images in your mind. What comes to your mind when you hear the word rich? Rich. Okay, I'm going to give you some of mine. Uh, Some of these go back to when I was a kid. I had a friend when I was young, when I was in second or third grade, whose father owned an antique store. Now, it wasn't any antique store, any normal antique store. His antique store was an antique toy and game shop. So what they did is they collected like old the video games, pinball machines, trains, all kinds of really cool stuff. So when I would go over to his house, he had antique pinball games in his house. He had old like uh, gambling games. We didn't actually gamble. The thing was full of quarters that we could just put in over and over like little horse racing games. His dad had an entire room like their garage had been converted into a room for Lionel trains. And I loved it. I don't know if any of you guys had a Lionel train set as a kid, the little electric trains. This guy had like all of them that had ever been made, the rare ones, the expensive ones. This entire room had been turned into a train village, right? I loved going to his house because in my mind, he was rich, right? In fact, it later, I think, posed some problems in our friendship because he sensed that I liked his house more than him. Uh, Another image that comes to my mind uh, the church that I went to growing up for most of my growing up years in Dallas was on the same street where Mary Kay Ash lived. Mary Kay Ash, the famous makeup mogul, right? And uh, her house was a 13,000 square foot pink house. As you drove by, it looked like a giant Pepto Bismol. It was amazing. And every time I drove by, I would think that's rich right there. 13,000 square feet, painted pink. You are so wealthy that you don't even need to think about resale value. It doesn't matter. That to me was an image of rich every time I drove by. And right. And that was not the only such house in the neighborhood. What do you think of when you think of rich? Let me share one other story. Some of you know the name Howard Hughes, the famous billionaire from the first half of the 20th century. I ran across this story about Howard Hughes just this week. Uh, Howard Hughes, one day in the 1950s, told his staff that he really wanted Baskin Robbins banana nut ice cream that was his favorite flavor he needed them to buy it so they called Baskin Robbins Baskin Robbins said look we are discontinuing that flavor so you can't buy like a couple of gallons of banana nut ice cream anymore you need to order in bulk to make it worth our while to make more banana nut ice cream so the staff said what's the minimum bulk order they said 350 gallons 350 gallons of banana nut ice cream. So they ordered it to the Desert Inn in Las Vegas where Howard Hughes was living at the time. 350 gallons of banana nut ice cream. Apparently he ate it for two or three days and then he said, I don't like this anymore. From now on, all I want is French vanilla. So they took all the banana nut ice cream and they placed it in the freezers and then they gave it away to guests for free over the course of the next several months to years. In fact, rumor has it that 30 years later, when the desert inn in Nevada closed down, there was still leftover banana nut ice cream in the freezer. Now I hear that and I think, wow, that is rich, right? That is rich. You are are so wealthy that you don't even need to worry about throwing away all of this food. And then I thought, can you imagine for a minute having so much money that you would throw away perfectly good food? Can you imagine for a minute having so much money that you might be the kind of person that would open up a pantry that is filled with stuff, right? Filled with cans of stuff. You would open up a fridge that is full of meat and you have bread and you have stuff, all this stuff to eat and you would open it up and you would actually look at your spouse and you would say these words, we don't have anything to eat. Let's go out. Like I've heard that there are people so wealthy that they can afford to do that. I've heard about people, and I was listening to another sermon this week that was talking about this, people so wealthy that they would open up a closet like jam-packed with clothes, like tons of clothes, 20, 30, 40 outfits of clothes and shoes and say, it's time to clear out all of these clothes and give them away so I can fill the closet with new clothes that fit this season and then stand in front of all the new clothes and say, I don't know what I'm going to wear. I don't have enough. All right, that's, that's rich, isn't it? All right, this, this same sermon I was listening to this week mentioned also, he said, you know, some, some rich people, it's crazy, they will do things like this. They will walk into a kitchen that has countertops and microwaves and stoves and refrigerators and all of this stuff, and you know what they'll do? This is insane, but here's what they'll do. They'll tear it all out, and then they'll put new stuff in. They'll build a new kitchen that has countertops and microwaves and stoves and refrigerators right? Because rich people sometimes do crazy things, All right. So when you ask like, what does it mean to be rich? It may be that different images come into your head. Maybe those are some of them, maybe they are not. What I find interesting is when you go kind of to the person on the street and you say, are you rich? They're going to answer the question in different ways. But if you say, what does it mean to be rich? Like what's the number that would make you rich? You know what people actually tend to say? A lot more than I have, right? That's the answer to the question. So I ran across this. If you ask somebody making less than $50,000, what does it take to be rich? How much would you have to make? They said you would need to make $200,000 to be rich. Okay, so less than $50,000, you got to make 200K plus. If you make $50,000 to $100,000 and you say, what does it take to be rich? They say, I would need $260,000 a year to be rich. If you make more than $100,000 and you ask, what does it take to be rich? Are you rich? They say, no, I'm not rich. In order to be rich, I would need to make over $500,000. No matter where people are on the economic scale, if you say, are you rich? They tend to say, no, I'm not rich. Somebody else is rich. In fact, I ran across one survey that said the rule of thumb is rich is basically twice as much as I'm making right now. That's rich. A couple of other staggering statistics only 28% of people who have between a million and 5 million dollars in liquid assets consider themselves rich right 28% so 72% of those who are sitting with a million plus in the bank 72% say no i'm not rich rich is somebody else rich is the guy who has 5 million 7 million 8 million only 60% of those who have more than 5 million in liquid assets consider themselves rich. So so the number starts to go up, but think about this for a minute. This is staggering. 40% of those who have $5 million in liquid assets say, nope, I'm not rich. That's somebody else, right? Rich is somebody else. But the reality is if if you're sitting on $5 million, you are wealthier than 99.94% of the world. You're easily in the top one half of 1% of Americans in terms of wealth. Right? So so why do we think that way? Here's why. We tend to think about rich in terms of relative value, right? We think about rich in terms of what I have compared to what my neighbor has, rather than thinking about it in terms of absolute value. Right? So that the more we have, the more we begin to believe We need, right? So the reality is all of us will know people that we would by any measure say, you are rich. And yet, what are they? They're worried that they don't have enough. That just around the corner, some catastrophe could happen that will make them no longer rich. And in fact, often the more we have, the more anxious we get about the resources that we have, right? The problem is not in the amount. The problem is somewhere in our hearts and in our souls. All right, so let me, let me come back to the question. Are you rich? One of my primary goals this morning, and it's a lofty one and a dangerous one, is to convince you that you're rich. All right. so congratulations. When you came in the room, you were not rich. When you leave, you'll be high-fiving each other because <laughs> you're rich. And one of the things we're going to talk about then is if we are Rich, if God has given us way more than we need, what does that say about our responsibility with what God has given? Now, if you've been following our series, let me remind you again every week we've been asking this question why should we become generous and joyful? givers, right? You remember week one, we talked about how giving is an act of worship. When we give, we say God is worthy of everything that we have to give. That was the first reason. Last week, we talked about how giving to God's purposes is an investment in eternity, that when I give to God's purposes, I am investing in people who will last forever, I am investing in the word of God that will last forever. So giving to God's purposes is an investment in eternity. Reason number three is this. Giving is the proper response to God's generosity. In other words, because God has given me a great deal, then I am responsible to give from what God has given me. It's the proper response to reflect the generosity of God. Or another way that we might put it this morning is simply this. We give because we're rich. We give because we are rich, right? And again, that's where we're going to head this morning. Because we have more than we need, because God has made us rich, we have a responsibility to manage his wealth wisely, right? And that's where we're headed is everything you have, all the riches you have, all the riches I have belong to God. And so the proper response to God's generosity is giving. All right, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Two major points. One, we are rich. and We're going to talk about material and spiritual wealth. And two, we are responsible. All right, so let's dive right in. First of all, we are rich. We are materially rich. Now, I want to give you a definition because I ask, like, what does it mean to be rich? And we all have these images in our head of what it means to be rich. Let me give you a biblical definition of rich. It's going to come from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here it goes. Paul says this, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Okay, here's, here's where Paul is going. He talks about how if you have enough, basically to have clothes on your back, a roof over your head and food in your stomach, that's enough. He says, with that, we can be content. In other words, as long as we have the basic needs of our lives met, Paul would say, you've got enough. Anything beyond that, in fact, qualifies as excess. Anything beyond that moves us toward rich, right? So what does it mean to be rich? It is this, to have more than you need for food, clothing, and shelter. To have more than you need for food, clothing, and shelter. So again, congratulations. To be rich encompasses, I believe, virtually everybody in this room. If you have more than you need, if you do open up a pantry filled with food, and you say, I could live for two, three, four weeks off what's in my pantry and my refrigerator. By biblical standards, in fact, we'll see by worldwide standards, you're wealthy. To have more than you need for food, clothing, and shelter. Now, what's interesting is wealth, because we view it in relative terms, The more we have, the more we think that we need, right? Uh, One, I was remembering this week, the very first job that I ever had as a teenager, I was 14 years old. I was a male nanny for a couple of little boys. Uh, I think they call it a manny, right? That's what I was. I was a manny. And here was my job. For 20 hours a week, I would babysit these two boys while their mom was at a part-time job. and, And she paid me $3 an hour. Right, $3 an hour for 20 hours a week. You can do the math. It was $60 every single week. Now, everybody knows $60 isn't going to get you an apartment, right? Not even in 1990 would $60 be enough to get an apartment, to get food, to get clothes or whatever. But you know what? When I got that $60 at that very first job, I felt immeasurably wealthy. And the reason was because all of my basic needs were provided for by my parents, right? I didn't have to pay the mortgage. I didn't have to pay the utility bill. So that's $60. It was all slush, man. It was whatever I wanted to do. So you know what I did is I found myself inventing ways to spend my $60. I would look at other kids who had toys I didn't have. And I would, in fact, almost intentionally generate a covetousness in my heart, right? Because I needed what they had. That $60 felt like such wealth. Why? Because it was all above and beyond what I needed to live. Some of you perhaps remember graduating from college and you got your very first job and it was the first time you had a real salary, right? And maybe that salary was like $27,000 a year and you got that first job and you, you heard that salary, $27,000 a year. And I'm going to guess you had a thought that was something like this. How in the world will I ever spend $27,000 a year? You figured it out really quickly, didn't you? So that within a year or two, you went to your, your, your boss and you said, hey, I've been making $27,000 a year for a couple of years. I think I need $31,000 now. Now I need 35. And all of a sudden you start going, you know what, this is, it's not enough. I need more and bigger and more and bigger, right? Because the amount that we feel we need grows with the amount that we make. Our expenses grow with our income, right? And Paul would say, if you have more than you need for food, clothing, and shelter, you are rich, All right? I, thought, I really thought about this week in terms of my own life, right? We, we have been blessed. We have a nice home, right? It's, it's a nice home. It's the type of home some of you have been blessed with homes like this. People come over to our house and they say, wow, what a beautiful house, right? What a nice home that you have. We have two refrigerators, We have two. The reason is because when we moved in, there was an old refrigerator... And then we bought a new refrigerator. We moved the old refrigerator into the garage. And in the old refrigerator, we mostly store like drinks and frozen pizzas, right? That's what the old refrigerator is for. The new refrigerator has food that we uh, change out on a week to week basis, right? Milk and, and water and fruit and cheese and meat and all of these things. And what's crazy is every weekend, we say to our oldest daughter, you need to go and help us by cleaning out the old food in the new refrigerator so we can put new food in the new refrigerator because there's so much, food in the new refrigerator that we don't have space for the groceries that we just bought. Right, we have two working cars, two working cars. I have one, my wife has one. We drive them to and from work or the places that we go to. I walk into my closet, I have many pairs of shoes, right? I have I have tennis shoes, I have actually two pairs of tennis shoes, one for mowing the lawn, one for working out. I've got dress shoes, I've got casual brown shoes and casual black shoes, right? My wife is actually the one that adds shoes. Before we were married, I had two pairs of shoes, right? I think now I have roughly 10, right? Some of you have many, many more than that. I have a rack full of clothes, right? And, and, and so I look at my life by any measure and I say I am immeasurably blessed and yet you know what happens is sometimes I go over to somebody else's house and I go, oh, wait a second. But, but his house has four refrigerators. <laughs> right? He has 15 pairs of shoes and four cars and they're newer cars than my car. And all of a sudden what happens? I go, I'm not rich. I'm just scraping by. Yet Paul would say, look, if you have more than you need for food and shelter and clothing, you're rich. Let me share a couple of statistics with you this morning. Worldwide median household income, right? For those of you who know statistics, median means half make more, half make less. $10,000 per year or $3,000 per year per capita, right? Worldwide, that's the median household income, right? For a family of four, five, six people, $10,000 per year. Around the world, there are people who, you know this, they live on $1 or less a day, right? They have what they need hopefully to eat today, right? Remember when Jesus says, we pray, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. That's literal, because the people in Jesus' day, it wasn't, hey, give me enough for this year, this month, this week. It was today. Let me have enough to fill my stomach. Worldwide, that's still how most people live. If you make more than $35,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of worldwide earners. Right? If you make more than $35,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners. All right, so let me ask the question again. Are you rich? Has God given you more than you need? And, and, and here's, here's the danger, I think, that, that we rich people face. Okay? Here's the danger, I think, that we face, is that we begin to believe that we are rich because we deserve it. We begin to think that there's something that we have done or some moral superiority or some even ontological superiority, right? That we're, we're better than others because we are rich in some way, right? And yet, as you look at the scripture, we're gonna see this. We're not better than others because we are wealthy, nor are we wealthy because we are better than others, right? But, the, but that mindset can, can creep into our hearts so quickly. I, I was uh, looking around at illustrations this week and I ran across, I had run across this a few years ago, a study that was done five or six years ago in which the researchers, they set up a game of Monopoly, right? You know that game Monopoly where you're trying to get the most money, and if, if you play it well, it takes like eight hours. You know, everybody's crying by the end. Fantastic game, right? So they set up this game, Monopoly, and they got two players. But here's what they did. They gave one player, at the very beginning of the game, they gave one player openly twice as much money as the other player, right? And it wasn't a secret. They said, you're getting $4,000. You're getting $2,000, And then that that player who was rich, they also allowed him to roll the dice twice as often as the other player. So he could move around faster, right? He could go around really fast and pick up all the properties and he had all this money. Now, here's what happened. At first, the player who had been given more was a little bit apologetic, right? Yeah, I know this isn't fair. I'm sorry. But as the game went on, that player who had been given more got more and more aggressive and boastful. About the game. He would grab his piece and and I've seen video, he would smack it around the board, right? And look at the other guy. They put a container of pretzels on the table. And uh, they even said some of the players were like, Are these pretzels like a trick? They were a trick. They wanted to see: does the person who has more money, will he reach in and grab a whole lot more pretzels just because he's feeling his oats? And sure enough, the guy who was given more at the beginning ate twice as many pretzels as the other person. They began to talk smack. Well, I'm going to win. You're going to lose. I'm doing well, right? And here's the crazy thing. At the end of the game, when they interviewed him and they said, well, how did you win? Nobody mentioned that the game was rigged. They said, oh man, I was, I was smart enough. My strategy was great. I did fantastic. Right? Here's what happens. And the, and the scripture bears this out. All too often, when we have riches, we begin to believe it's because we're better. When in reality, what we'll see is it actually is because for whatever reason, God has been kind. And we don't know why, not because we're better, but simply in the kindness of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, speaking to the nation of Israel, says, you shall remember the Lord your God. Why? For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. See, here's sometimes what we think. We go, look, I earned what I, what I have, right? And I don't want to take away from that. You're smart, you're industrious, you worked hard. But let me ask you this question. Who made you smart? Who made you healthy and able to work hard? Who placed you in a position where you were able to work hard and multiply what you have? 1 Corinthians chapter four, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Every penny that you and I have comes from the hand of God. We are materially wealthy, right? But what's more, not only do we have more than we need materially, but the scripture says we are spiritually rich as well. Now now imagine for a moment the combination then of of material wealth and spiritual riches and the power of, an influence God has given you and me as a result of that cross-section. Right, I want to share a couple of passages with you that highlight our spiritual riches. When the scripture talks about the grace of God, it tends to talk about it often in terms of God opening his storehouse of wealth and lavishing upon us riches. Let me show you a couple. Romans chapter 10, the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. That for those who trust in Jesus Christ, God opens the storehouse and says, if you believe in Jesus, then all the riches of heaven belong to you forever and ever. Why? Because in God's eternal kingdom, nobody will go hungry. Nobody will lack shelter. Nobody will lack clothing. Everybody will experience everything they need. So God has immeasurable, infinite wealth. The book of Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Some of you probably know right now the wealthiest person in the world is Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, right? My guess is that all of us are contributing to his wealth on a regular basis. (laughs) I read this week it says in the last year alone, Bezos made 19.3 billion dollars billion with a B the last year alone. That equals out to 52 million dollars per day, over 2 million dollars per hour, and 36 thousand dollars a minute, or close to the average millennial salary. Now, I want to ask you a question. What if he said, "Look, I'll give a thousand bucks to anybody who asks." Right, I'll give you $1,000. All you gotta do is just you know, email me, call me, whatever, and I'll give you $1,000. Now, my guess is that some people would take him up on it. Some people wouldn't. They either wouldn't get the message or they don't like to ask for money or whatever. But the people who did say he begins to give away $1,000 to everybody who asked. Now, it would take a while for him to give away all of his wealth, right, depending on how fast he gave it away. But if he were flooded with enough people, millions and millions of people, he would eventually run out, right? He would eventually run out if he gave a $1,000 to 300 million people in the country. Eventually, the storehouse of his wealth would be depleted. When we look at the scripture's depiction of the riches of God, though, It says, God opens the storehouse and he says, anybody who comes to me in Jesus Christ, I will lavish upon you riches, upon riches, upon riches. And guess what? You will never run out. And he will never run out. It is infinite wealth that will last for eternity compared to the riches of God in Jesus Christ. Jeff Bezos is a pauper. And so the scripture says, you have been given immeasurable wealth so much greater than any material wealth you could ever have. You are materially wealthy and you are spiritually rich because Jesus in his kindness died for our sins and rose again so we can have eternal, everlasting life in the presence of God. Well, you know, a lot of people talk about how in Revelation chapter 21, you know, it, it pictures the new heavens and the new earth, and, and there are streets of gold, right? There are streets of gold in the new heavens and new earth. It actually says that the streets are paved with gold. And I always thought that was interesting because we talk about it as if, man, man, we're gonna be fabulously wealthy wealthy, right? And that is true. But what's interesting is it's not the gold that makes us wealthy. The idea behind streets paved with gold, you know what the idea is? Gold is so low value that they use it for paving, right? Instead of concrete trucks, there are gold trucks laying the gold down. You're driving along and I don't know, like a diamond encrusted buggy and you can't even sell it. For cash, because it's so common, because the riches of God are so lavish. So we are materially and spiritually wealthy. And here's the thing. If I have material wealth that I know won't last, right? I know it's not going to last. I know that when I get to the kingdom of heaven, I'm not going to be able to give away my golden money. Because what will be of value are the spiritual riches God has given to his people. If that's the case, why would I not say, look, I am responsible now to use my material riches so others can experience the eternal and spiritual riches of Jesus Christ? If I'm materially wealthy and I'm spiritually wealthy, then I'm also responsible. I am responsible and the day will come, we see this in scripture, I'm responsible because the day will come when I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. How did you use the vast riches I gave you materially and spiritually? We'll see that in just a moment in Luke chapter 19, right? We are responsible. So let me ask this question. If you say, okay, I know that I am rich. Then the question is, okay, why did God give us all of these riches? let me offer a couple of thoughts. First one is this, to enjoy God's kindness. Let me show you, this is also from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says this, God richly supplies us with all things. Why? To enjoy. Now, interesting, isn't it? You thought I was going to begin by saying you need to give it all away. Okay, but the reality is, as you look at the scripture, what's interesting is it says, God is a giver. Every good thing and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now, that that doesn't mean that, that God is not calling you to give away some or all of your excess. But at the same time, there is a legitimate scriptural principle that says, when we enjoy what God has given, that is gratitude, right? When I can enjoy my home or my car, when I can enjoy a good meal, then I have the opportunity to worship God. Because God is a giver. Now we're going to talk in a moment how that intersects with this concept of of us being givers. Right? But think about it this way: some of you have probably taken your kids to Disney World, right? I know some of you have taken your kids to Disney World. And it's it's a fun place. They say it is the happiest place on earth, right? So when you take your kids to Disney World, what do you want more than anything? You want them to be happy, right? You want them to have fun. But here's the challenge that there are parts of Disney World that are less than happy, right? That are less than fun, right? Because it's, it's in Florida. It's usually 147 degrees when you show up and you stand in very long lines. Even, you know, you run out of fast passes and you may stand in a line for two hours for a 47 second ride, right? And what happens when you're in the line? Well, your kids begin to, complain right they begin to gripe i don't want to stand in this line i don't like it here i don't care about this right and what do you say to them look i made a choice it was either college or disney world okay? <laughs> so you will be happy we are at the happiest place on earth right so paste on a smile i want to see the happiest children on earth Right now, you may get frustrated, but, but what, what is that reflecting? Deep in your heart, you say, I spent this money, why? Because I want them to enjoy. And their enjoyment brings me enjoyment. Their joy brings me enjoyment, right? God is the same way because we're made in his image. God is generous because it brings us joy and it brings us life. Right now, I wanna be clear though. You can experience enjoyment in God's gifts whether you live in a small home or a large home. You can experience joy in God's gifts, whether you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a prime rib, right? Because, because the idea that Paul indicates here is whatever God has given, you can be content and you can enjoy. And in that enjoyment, there is a recognition of the giver, right? So it is not wrong to enjoy the things that God has given. It is not wrong to buy a house, to go on a vacation, to buy a car. Right, we are responsible, I believe, to worship and be grateful for what God has given. But the scripture then goes further and says, we are also responsible to reflect the generosity of God. To enjoy, yes, but also to reflect the generosity of God. Let me, from First Timothy 6, again, it says, instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why is that? Because that reflects what God has done for you and me. Because God gave what was most precious to him to purchase you and me because we are precious to him. He gave his son to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And so Paul here says, look, instruct those who are rich. And remember, that's all of us. To do good, to be rich. It says not in stocks and bonds and IRAs. Rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. You very well could be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to reflect the generosity to somebody in need. I'm gonna tell two quick stories. I've mentioned before when my wife and I lived in Dallas and I was going to seminary, we struggled financially. Some of you have been in that place where you had more month than money, right? And there was this one month, I remember we were about a week out from her payday as a teacher, and we were short about $250, right? I remember looking at the bank account and going, I don't know what we're going to do. We, we need $250 more to make it through the rest of this month, to pay our bills, to get food, all that kind of stuff. We prayed about it. And then we kind of went on with our week, sort of hoping it would resolve in some way. Uh, we went to church that Sunday. We walk into our Sunday school class and there's this guy. I still remember his name was Mark. I unfortunately cannot recall his last name, but Mark was a generous man. And he was trying to walk with the Lord. And here's what happened. Mark walked up to us right at the beginning of this class. And he said, hey, Matt, something funny. Today, I was praying. And as I was praying, I just felt the Lord leading me that you guys could use some help. So here's the amount that I sensed I should give you. He hands me a check. I open it up. It was $250. Right? I remember seeing it and and, and I began to cry. Right? And I wonder, what if, what if Mark had heard that and thought, oh, man, not me, not this month. I think the Lord still would have provided for us. Mark just wouldn't have gotten that moment. Right? Uh, another quick story. A few years ago, I, I was dialoguing on Facebook with one of our missionaries about God's provision. And he mentioned, you know, he said in 2004, when they came back from the field, Overseas. He said, Our finances were really in trouble. He said, I had budgeted carefully for groceries and fuel, but an unexpected car repair blew through what we had left. It says, October 15th, I didn't have a penny to my name, literally. He said, It was Friday, we needed groceries. Two families were coming to spend the weekend with us to celebrate my daughter's birthday. So he says, He's sitting in a cubicle actually at the church, and he says, I was really angry with God. I said, Lord, you took care of us while we were doing your work overseas, but now that we're here, are you going to forget about us? Don't you care? A few minutes later, my phone rang. It was a friend I was studying the Bible with. He wanted to help. I told him the car was already fixed, the repairs paid for. So after insisting for a third time, he just asked me how much it had been. He took me out to lunch, gave me a check for the whole amount, $340. A little later, one of the ladies in the church office came by and said someone had left an envelope on her desk with my name on it. It had $200 in it. A little later, another of the ladies in the office came by and said someone else had given her an envelope for me. I asked who, but she said they did not want me to know who it was from. In the envelope was a money order for $500. In the from space, it said Jesus. In the to space, it said Gil. Gil. A little later, one of our elders came by, and he was very excited about Bible translation. He said, so we chatted for a while about that. Then he asked how our finances were doing. I told him everything, even the gifts I had gotten. He says, Gil, would $1,000 help? So he gave us a check for $1,000. Now, I love that story, and here's why. Multiple people right at that moment heard from God that this man needs what you have to give. And I I wondered when I heard it, were there others, right? Were there others that heard from God and said, not me, not today. But those who listened and obeyed got to be a part of what God was doing open up their hands and say, everything I have belongs to God so I can give to you freely because God gave to me, right? So if we have wealth, we are responsible to enjoy, to reflect God's generosity, and then thirdly and lastly, to proclaim God's salvation, to proclaim God's salvation with what we have. Philippians chapter one, verses three to five, Paul wrote, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians, the whole book is essentially a thank you note to the church in Philippi because they had supported Paul's ministry as he was sharing the gospel around the world. He says, you guys and the church in Macedonia were the only ones actually that gave a gift for my needs. And he says, look, it's not the gift that I am looking for. He actually says, it's the credit that accrues to your account, right? When you give to the work of the gospel, to the spread of the gospel, he says, there's credit that accrues to your account that when you stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of what you've done with your wealth, with your earthly resources, Paul says, there's going to be a credit. And Jesus is apt to say, well done, well done. You took what you had and you gave it to the spread of the gospel. This is why I, I, I unfortunately am almost out of time and I can't read all of Luke 19 this morning, but we talked about this passage last week. You may remember Luke 19, the parable of the minas. Jesus told a story about three servants, right? He says there was a king that went away and he gave his three servants varying amounts of money. Minas were ancient money, right? And one guy, he gives 10 minas. One guy, he gives five minas. One guy, he gives one mina. And then when he comes back, the guy who had 10 said, look, I took your 10 and I invested it and I made 10 more. And he says, well done. You've been faithful over a few things. You rule over 10 cities. The guy who had five, he says, look, I invested your five. I made five more. He says, well done. With whatever you had, you invested it wisely. You rule over five cities. The guy who had one says, look, here's the thing. I was kind of afraid of you because I heard you were tough. So I took your money and I wrapped it in a cloth and I buried it in the ground. Here it is. And he goes, you lazy, foolish slave. Why didn't you at least put it in the bank to earn a little interest? If you knew I was an exacting man, that I would ask for an account. He goes, take that away from him, give it to the guy who has 10. And they're like, he already has 10. And Jesus says, the one who has to him more will be given. When you're faithful with a little, God provides more to be faithful with a lot. So that because we are wealthy, because we are rich, we're called to be responsible, to enjoy God's kindness, to reflect God's generosity, right? To give to those in need, to proclaim God's salvation, to give our resources toward the local church, toward missionaries, toward those in need. Because we're materially wealthy and spiritually wealthy, we're responsible. So let me close with this question. Are we using our riches to reflect the values of God? All right, some of you, you know, just internally, you're asking me right now, well, what's the right percentage? Right? How much uh, do I need to give and how much can I enjoy? What's that percentage? I'm not gonna give you a percentage. Right. Is it 10%? Is it the tithe? Right, the New Testament doesn't repeat the 10% number. Right? And, and I think the reason is because the New Testament constantly pushes us toward generosity, toward generosity with what God has given. Here's actually what I think as I read the New Testament is that the 10% number is not mentioned again because I think in the early church, they considered that a minimum starting point and they pushed beyond that for the good of the people of God and for the proclamation of the gospel because the question they were asking, I think the, the question we ought to ask ourselves is not how much can I keep, right? But how much can I give? So so are we rich? I believe we are. And therefore we are responsible to use what we have to reflect the values of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for this time. I acknowledge this is deeply convicting and unsettling to me. And I'm sure to many in the room. Father, we don't know why you have blessed us so lavishly that we have so much more than we need. And we don't even always see the ways in which we are ungrateful. We don't always see the ways in which we are selfish. But I pray you'd open up our eyes, help us to see. I pray as we move through this season in the life of our church and in the life of our community, that you would teach us to trust you and be generous with what you've given. Father, we pray that you would use us to have an eternal impact for the kingdom of God for the cause of Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.